This is MPB News. Hi, this is Ashley Norwood. Thanks for checking out the At Issue podcast. If you like what you hear, please like, rate, or leave a comment. Subscribe to this and other MPB News productions, like Mississippi Edition, to stay up to date. Don't forget to tell your friends about us, too. You can also watch At Issue on MPB TV, Friday nights at 7.30, or on mpbonline.org. Thanks for listening. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Wilson Stribling. Welcome to another edition of At Issue, where we discuss and debate the issues facing the state of Mississippi and how these issues impact you. It's the sixth week of the 2021 legislative session and lawmakers are facing a deadline for original floor action on general bills and constitutional amendments originating in each chamber. The Republican-controlled Senate voted to ban transgender athletes from competing in girls or women's sports in the state's public schools and universities. There was little discussion before senators passed Senate Bill 2536 late last night by a 34 to 9 vote. Republican Senator Angela Hill of Picayune explains the bill. Senate Bill 2536 is a pretty simple bill. It requires that any public school, public institution of higher learning that's a member of the NCAA, NAIA, MHSAA, or NJCAA to designate their sports or intramural teams based on biological sex as male, female, or co-ed. The bill also requires that athletic teams designed for females cannot be open to male students. The bill provides in Section 3 that any government entity, licensing, or crediting organization, or any other athletic association or organization shall not entertain a complaint, open investigation, or take any other adverse action against a primary or secondary school or college for maintaining a separate sports or intramural athletic team or sports for students of the female sex. It also um, provides a cause of action for a student who is deprived of any athletic opportunity as a direct result of a violation of this act. The reason for this is because we've had, I've had numerous coaches across the state call me and believe that they feel that there is a need for a policy in Mississippi because they're beginning to um, have some concerns of having to deal with this when Mississippi is one of only 10 states that don't have a policy. Um, all our surrounding states have a policy like this except for Tennessee and Tennessee is in the, in the process of enacting their policy as we speak. Mississippi is one of a dozen states with lawmakers proposing restrictions on athletics or gender-confirming health care for transgender minors this year. The Human Rights Campaign, an LGBTQ advocacy group, is condemning anti-transgender bills in Mississippi and other states. The Senate bill now moves to the House. A proposal raising similar concerns is already in the House. Yesterday, representatives took up House Bill 1030, which would allow student athletes to receive compensation for use of their name or image. Republican Representative Becky Curry of Brookhaven added an amendment that does not allow male students to play on female teams and receive compensation. 
Curry says if a student's athlete's sex is disputed, the student may establish his or her sex by presenting a signed physician's agreement as proof. She did not address or stipulate any provisions for transsexual men, only transsexual women and their participation and related compensation in women's athletics. The bill passed as, amendment, uh, as amended. The American Civil Liberties Union issued a statement in support of compensating college athletes, but called on lawmakers to remove the amendment, which the ACLU says discriminates against transgender women. It added that if the state is sued, the law will be struck down in court. Lawmakers in the Senate worked past midnight and into the early morning hours today to meet a deadline to pass measures that may have failed earlier in the week. The Mississippi Medical Cannabis Act first died on the Senate floor by a vote of 30 to 21, but was held on a motion to reconsider. Lawmakers came back hours later after midnight and passed the bill, which would set a 7% sales tax on medical marijuana. Republican Senator Kevin Blackwell of Olive Branch says the bill is not intended to replace Initiative 65, which is the constitutional amendment adopted by voters in November to legalize the product for 22 debilitating conditions. Blackwell says the way the bill is written now, it would be only a backup plan in case courts block what voters approved. Initiative 65 is before the state's highest court after the mayor of Madison challenged the legality of the signatures collected. The bill moves to the House for consideration. Republicans in the Senate rejected two plans to expand Medicaid, which would provide coverage to an estimated 300,000 Mississippians who cannot otherwise afford health insurance. Every few years, the state's Medicaid program comes up in the legislature for a comprehensive review and renewal. The attempts to expand it this week came during debate on Senate Bill 2799, which proposes several changes to the state's program and would keep the agency running beyond the end of the fiscal year. Here's a look at what happened on the Senate floor. Now, more than ever, Mississippians want and need good hospitals and good access to health care. They are going to jobs where they can barely make ends meet. And this could be in situations where there's more than one person in the household. They have children. There may be a spouse. And they simply do not make the income that's necessary to, to have affordable health care. Every state that has expanded has missed the mark. It has cost the state hundreds of millions of dollars in additional money. And the number of enrollees has been astronomical, anywhere from 148% more to close to 200% more. This is not the right time for Mississippi to expand. But now if the federal government is going to pay 90% to help poor people who have worked all their life, lives, and you've got the audacity to stand there and debate that we're wasting money to help the poor, to reject it, to downtrodden. Are, are you seriously suggesting that a federal government that's $28 trillion in debt, that's $28 trillion in debt, is giving anybody money that they possess? They don't. This it, is not anybody. Is, These are people. It is borrowed money, and it's reckless, and it's dangerous, and it will bring our economy down. It's just a matter of time. The spending has to stop, Senator Jordan. But for the one zillionth time, it would, we would make money if we expanded Medicaid. And as an aside, if this makes any difference, 
we would alleviate human suffering. Not only would we provide additional health care for the expansion population who have access to health care who haven't had it before, but by having those additional dollars going into the health care system, you help keep alive doctors' offices, uh, uh, nursing homes, hospitals, other health care entities out in the rural part of the state where there's a desperate need for simply enough volume to keep keep the facilities open. Both attempts to expand Medicaid were defeated. Votes in the Senate fell along party lines by an identical 34 to 16 margin. Mississippi is one of 12 states that have not taken the option to expand eligibility for Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. However, some lawmakers are considering expanding Medicaid for incarcerated men and women. A proposal making its way through the Capitol would allow chronically ill inmates to be paroled to special facilities where they would be placed on Medicaid. Republican Senator Bryce Wiggins of Pascagoula explains the bill. Well, actually what it is, is that it is allowing for a, facil uh, a facility to be uh, established to take on uh, the worst in terms of health care inmates, okay? Uh, you could e equate it to like hospice, if you will. And so what it is, is to move them uh, out of MDOC and let the treatment be uh, handled by the, these facilities um, uh, to address their, the medical care. And the state spends uh, at a minimum of $80 million just on health care costs. And this facility, uh, facilities, if it goes to more than one, would allow for that treatment to take uh, hold and then for the federal government to pick up two-thirds of the cost. And by, and by the way, th this is something that's encouraged by the the federal government to to try to do this to help address corrections issues in different states. Democratic Senator David Jordan of Greenwood says he is disappointed that the state is turning down federal dollars to help provide health care coverage for working Mississippians, but is considering the measure to use federal funds to provide health care for prisoners. If you're going to ask the federal government for something false, why can't you ask it for the poor and the rejected? I know it's 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 a little obligation to it to put more people to work and you could save somebody help. Why would Mississippi, the poorest state in the nation, turn it down over a period of time, seven billion federal dollars? That doesn't make any sense to me. I know people can't read and write and reason better than that. It just doesn't make any sense. Let's receive the Medicaid package like the other states have who are more wealthy than we are. Let's move off the bottom. All I'm saying is three million of us here. here we got uh, people who uh, may not have the adequate resources, the adequate education, know how to do what needs that need help. That people dying in mountain numbers, and we're turning on a billion dollars a year, where we can get 97, 93, or 94 percent of it without any tax. 
Wiggins says he appreciates the debate, but that it's not an apples to apples comparison. The bill now heads to the House for further review. A bill that would purge Mississippi voter rolls passed the Senate, but not without more than an hour of debate and discussion this week. Senate Bill 2588 calls for a notification to be mailed to Mississippi residents who do not vote within a two year period. The notice requires a response from the voter to confirm or update their information. If they don't respond they, and they fail to vote over the next four years, their name would be removed from the rolls. Here's a sampling of what happened on the Senate floor. A lot of legislations out there that dictates how much counties have to spend on elections based on their active voter roll. And so with inflated books, uh, we're going to have, you know, more costs that go down to the counties. And what this will simply do is just make sure that we have good manageable roles. Well, well I guess my concern or my question is, isn't it a fundamental right to vote? Don't we have a, a right to vote? Uh, uh, we, we do, as long as uh, we abide by certain rules. You know, I believe there's a few disenfranchising crimes out there that strip that away. But uh, for the most part, you're 18, you live, and you vote, you know, in the jurisdiction that you're registered in. And, 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 and like we have a, a right to vote, don't we as voters also have a right not to vote? Okay, let's say I get kicked off the rolls. Am I done? Can I get back on? Oh, you can always re-register. So that's a, I mean, I can go back, if, whatever reason or reasons I get off for those four to eight years, I can go back and get registered on there. So, the, so it's not a big deal to get back on the rolls if we don't. That's correct. And the benefits of this are really more efficient streamlining at the county level where we're gonna have fewer man hours and processing and also the um, economic savings that are there and the propensity to reduce or eliminate fraud that, that we know exists. Yes, sir. Well, you don't have any evidence that there is any voter fraud, do you? It's, it's there, I promise you. Do you have any evidence? I did not have it with me, but I promise you it's there. You promised me that yes, it's sir. there and I'm, you have no evidence. I was, uh, in other words, I was trained year after year and shown. <laughs> well, uh, well I just don't want us to be too hasty passing laws when all of this stuff about what's going on now about voter fraud, and you have no evidence of any. And yet you ought to remove people off of the rolls of a precious gift given by the 14th Amendment, I believe, that all people have a right to vote. And some of us have had many struggles trying to do just that, trying to follow the Constitution. And here Mississippi is, which doesn't have a clean record on voting. Many people have been killed trying to do that right. And you're coming with a bill now and you don't have any statistic of voter fraud. I don't understand why we are so hasty here. Today, the Mississippi Department of Health is reporting 984 new cases of the coronavirus and 39 additional deaths. That brings the totals in Mississippi to more than 280,000 cases and nearly 6,500 deaths since March of 2020. So now let's get straight to the point with views from both sides of the aisle. Brandon Jones is an attorney and former Democratic member of the House. Filling in for Austin Barber this week is former Mississippi Republican Party Chairman Lucian Smith. Lucian, thanks for coming back to see us. Great to be here. Brandon, good to have you with us as always. Yeah, good to be here. Let's start with uh, what's going on with medical marijuana. We talked about this a good bit uh, last week. We have some clarification now. The, the bill was clarified to, to explain that, it's, uh, that this 
bill passed uh, so far uh, that's making its way through the Capitol anyway, uh, would be a replacement for Initiative 65 if the court strikes down 65. We've gone all these years with no action, no, uh, no laws from the legislature regarding medical marijuana. So why is it that they're staying there past midnight in haste uh, to, to, to pass a new medical marijuana bill when we already have the, 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 the amendment, that the constitutional amendment that voters passed? They're wanting to make sure that even if that doesn't stand up, that we still have a program. Where is this, this urgency coming from? I, I, look, I think the legislature kind of realizes that they made a mistake by letting this turn into a constitutional initiative, by not taking some action on their own. Uh, because when you constitutionalize policy, there's no way to come back and tinker with it. You've got to go through the entire initiative process, have a new vote. Uh, and so when people realize there's a problem, you're not able to regulate zoning. You're not able to tax uh, the marijuana products that are out there. People are going to want to change that, but they can't. And my sense, listening to the debate on the floor, is there are some members of the legislature that, that might be thinking if they pass a legislative alternative, the Supreme Court will be more comfortable hmm. striking down the constitutional initiative, but know that they're still going to respond to public sentiment and have some sort of authorized medical marijuana program. Okay. Yeah, Lucian, this was not profiles and political courage. I mean, the people of Mississippi voted in favor of this product, 70%. And... I, I think it's pretty clear that they kind of want to get in on this. They, they, and they, to your point, they, they missed their opportunity to get ahead of it. So now this is, you know, what they're left with. I do find it interesting. Senator Blackwell, last week, we had a chance to watch the extended committee debate here on this program. And last week, he said it would benefit the state to have two programs that that people could choose which program to be a part of. Today, he says, well, this is only there in the event that the other one does. So I'm not even sure the people who are bringing this bill know exactly why they're bringing this. I mean, there, there, there are a lot of layers to this onion. I don't think we as observers of this process know to this point what exactly is going on here. Even the sponsor of the bill seems to be confused as to why he's bringing the bill. Is it an alternative or did we need two programs so that people could choose? So I think as us watching we'll have to keep our eye on it because you know bills that pass at 1201 after multiple tries and multiple versions require our full attention well clearly the voters indicated that they want some sort of program in mississippi aren't there other forces at work here uh, as well lucian folks who stand a lot of to make a lot of money on the marijuana industry in mississippi yeah i, I think uh, some of the people who were supportive of the constitutional initiative stand to make a lot of money off of the uh, off of it but at the end of the day constitutionalizing policy is just a bad way to do things. It's why uh, I was opposed to Initiative 42 years ago that would have constitutionalized education policy. Same thing here. You make good policy or you try to make good policy through the legislative process. And I think as people see what all was in that constitutional initiative, there's going to continue to be a shift away from people who supported the initiative uh, who probably wish that they did have a legislative outcome. So hopefully that's what happens here. Uh, is the Supreme Court ends up striking down the constitutional initiative and a legislatively created uh, medical marijuana program comes into existence because it's clear the people of Mississippi do want to have a medical marijuana program. Here. Well, we should point out the opposite could happen. The Supreme Court could let it uh, take effect and the, the version passed by voters could be the one that becomes the, the law of the state. Let's move on to these uh, to the transgender uh, bill. Where is this coming from? Is this, uh, Brandon, a reaction to, uh, to, to a new presidency? Where, where, why are we suddenly talking about these things in the Mississippi legislature? There's not a great re reason for that from my perspective, Wilson. Uh, I thought that was just a brutal example of the some of the bad legislation that's coming through the state capitol. I mean, if you were a person at home who wanted this Mississippi legislature to pack hundreds of people into the capitol so that you could pass discriminatory bills, 
so that you could pass voter purging bills, so that you could again <clears throat> reject Medicaid expansion, and then tinker with a program that passed 70% on the November ballot, then I guess congratulations. But if you're someone who would like to see the state take a step towards modernity, that would like to see Mississippi for once find one bit of discriminatory activity that's sweeping the country and say no, then this was disappointing. You know, I don't pretend, gentlemen, to understand what it's like to be a trans person. I don't pretend to understand that. But I do know they're human beings. And I do know we have not had one example of a person trying to infiltrate an athletic program in the way described by Senator Hill. We had no example of this causing any problems at any of our university campuses. And so here we are again on a lark during a pandemic, bringing a discriminatory bill because we just have to get out in front of any bit of discrimination that is out in the atmosphere. And, and I'm a Mississippian that loves this state, but is very tired of us not saying no to hate. And that's what this is to me. It's otherism, it's hatred, it's fear, it's how do I get my people worked up. And I, and I look at those legislators and I think, if this is the type of thing that animates you, if this is the type of thing that gets you out of bed and makes you leave your family to come to the legislature and get paid nothing, then I think you need to find a new motivation. This was a sad moment and I, and I hate that it happened and I hate that we're up here talking about another bit of discrimination out of Mississippi. I just don't think it's a discriminatory bill. I, I support the concept of the bill. I mean, you are certainly right. This is not an epidemic that Mississippi is seeing right now. Uh, but I think Senator Hill's position, and I suspect the people who voted for it, is this recognition that the culture has shifted so radically on this point. I mean, you look back 10 or 20 years ago, the concept of transgenderism even existing was something that you only would have found in, on university campuses and graduate school seminars, and it has rapidly moved into the mainstream. It, it 10 years ago, was listed in the diagnostic manual uh, as being a mental illness. Uh, and so I think looking at how quickly the culture has changed, I, I think Senator Hill's trying to get ahead of it. Uh, and it, it's just a biological fact that in the aggregate, on average, uh, there are physical differences between men and women. Uh, and so I think her thinking is uh, this is a way of protecting primarily girls from having biological males come in and compete against them. Now, I certainly think everyone needs to be treated with dignity and respect, but I, I think this bill uh, is simply an effort to protect primarily female sports uh, from having biological males come in uh, and dominate, which is, what, what, which is what's going to happen more often than not. I get the feeling from you, Brandon, that you, you've got a sense that, that the Democrats are not going to get anything out of this uh, out of this session. Is that how you feel? Yeah, it, it's um, it's tough. I mean, again, what we saw in this program tonight is a run up of, of these bills that are going somewhere. And, and what have we talked about so far? An alternative to a statewide ballot initiative that passed overwhelmingly. Then we talk about a, a, a bill to discriminate an action that's not even occurring in our state. And then we talk about um, tinkering with the vote. How do, how do we make sure that we can take people off of the voting rolls? So, yeah, I think there are progressives like me and, and frankly, moderates and maybe even Republicans in other parts of the country who would scratch their head that this is what you come back to the Capitol to do during a pandemic. We don't need any of this. There's no hue and cry for any of this. You know, I said this to Austin last week, Lucian. It seems like Republicans tinker around with the Constitution every time a Democrat gets, uh, with, the, with the voting, every time a Democrat gets elected president. We got voter ID when Barack Obama came in. And I guess now that we have Joe Biden, we're going to start, you know, tinkering with the voting rolls. Um, 
I think the other part of this that we haven't even discussed is that many of these bills are going to invite lawsuits. You know, discriminatory activity, stuff that skirts up to the edge of the National Voting Rights Act and, and other you know, parts of federal law, I think are problematic. Uh, we talk, didn't even talk about the other purging bill that's moving through over there, which would allow the Secretary of State to cross-reference unknown databases and check people's national citizenship. That's already been struck down in Kansas and Texas. I guess the only thing worse than an original voter purging bill is stealing somebody else's bad idea that's already been struck down by the courts. But that's what it feels like, Lucian. I know I'm a little animated tonight, but it just feels like it's one shot after the other. Well, I mean, I, I think on the election integrity point in particular, Republicans, regardless of who the president is, want to make sure that only qualified voters are, are actually able to cast their ba ballots. I mean, voting is a sacred right, but part of what makes it sacred is that only uh, people who are 18 years old, who are not disqualified, who are American citizens are, are, are able to vote. Now, how the final version of these bills work out, I, I certainly hope as it goes through the process uh, that we will do it uh, in accordance with all the applicable federal law in the Constitution. I think the, that's certainly going to be a goal of the legislature. But I think having a provision that says we're going to make sure you're an American citizen before we uh, let you cast a vote in American elections, I don't think that's offensive. And I think saying uh, making sure that only people who are uh, actually alive, living, real people uh, are on the voter rolls is also perfectly appropriate. And my understanding from some of the debate on the floor about uh, Senator Tate's purging bill is that we've got counties in Mississippi where there are more registered voters than we have people. Well, that's a sign of a real problem, and that's something that uh, shows the circuit clerks in those office uh, in those counties aren't doing their job, and it opens up a massive opportunity for fraud if you've got people who are registered to vote, almost certainly don't live there. It doesn't take much for somebody to come in and cast an, ap an absentee ballot uh, in their uh, in their place. And so I think trying to go through and having some processes where we eliminate those people helps protect the sanctity of the vote by not allowing that fraud to happen. Is, is there a way, Brandon, that you know of that that could be achieved that you would not consider discriminatory? Well, Senator Jordan did a good job of addressing voter fraud. I, I, I would I would submit that none of us believe voter fraud exists and that it's just used in political ways. But to your question, um, can we remove dead people from the voting rolls? And should people who move out of their district be removed? There are laws in the on the books in Mississippi right now that require that. It's interesting, you know, uh, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman presided over this conversation. He was our Secretary of State for 12 years. During the time that he was the Secretary of State, there were laws on the books that would allow election officials to remove people that were qualified, just as you just mentioned. Yeah, I think you can do that in a non-discriminatory way, Wilson. The, the laws are there now. I don't know what about passing a new law necessarily makes our circuit clerks and our elections officials any more animated or motivated to do that type of work. It's been there for a long time. What we do know is we don't have as big a staff as we sometimes need in these counties. Um, sometimes the training isn't proper. And look, some of our circuit clerks do a great job of this, but I think we're talking about a personnel problem here, which this bill doesn't address and instead adds another layer of discrimination. Well, I, I will agree with you that I think there's a constitutional way to do it. I will disagree with you on one point. Voter fraud does exist, is a real thing, and needs to be addressed. Lucian Smith, thank you for being with us. Brandon, as always, and we thank you for joining us. We're out of time. Don't forget, you can watch this program online or listen to the podcast at mpbonline.org for day-to-day -day coverage. Follow MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Have a good night.
Thanks for listening to the At Issue podcast from MPB News. If you haven't already, subscribe to get new episodes weekly. And don't forget to like, rate, and leave a review. You can also stay in touch with MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. For daily news, check out the Mississippi Edition podcast. Thanks for listening.